Hey, I think we're live. This mm-hmm. is Gathering 208, the podcast. Episode 20 already. 20. That, that means we've been in quarantine for 20 weeks. 20 weeks. Yeah. Friends, 20 weeks. I mean, we. I don't know if we can even call it quarantine anymore. I think it's just like reality. Yeah. We've been in life mm-hmm. now for 20 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's yes. new and different yes. and great. So tonight we have Celine Olson with us. Um, Celine lives in Sioux Falls, and she is kind of part of our team. I feel like I'm leaning really far forward. Um, <laughs> she's part of our team here at Gathering 208, helping us out with some of our digital marketing and just kind of being another good set of ears that knows you know, how the world works, and we're so excited to have you on tonight, Celine. Thank yes. you. Thank yeah. you. I'm excited to be on. Cool. So as we had decided to have this conversation with you tonight, it kind of morphed from a let's get to know Celine to, you know, us kind of talking a little more about uh, just kind of our pasts and knowing each other because you and I have known each other for what, like five years? Yeah, at that time. Five years, probably. Yeah, we met yeah. in Mitchell Wesleyan in Mitchell, South Dakota. Oh, that's where you guys met. Yeah. I never knew where you guys yeah. met. That's I just so knew funny. You were friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Celine and her husband Derek have been friends with us for five years. Derek was on worship team with us, and then they moved to Sioux Falls, and we moved to Sioux Falls. So, you guys hang out a bit more there. Okay. So, yes. yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. And throughout <laughs> our relationship, you know, we we have that kind of relationship where we can be kind of honest and open with each other. And we realized that something that we could talk about tonight was mental health. Yes. Um, Getting help mainly, but how it's okay to not be okay sometimes and Mm -hmm. how it's okay to admit that. Yes, exactly it. Yeah. It's crazy how it morphed into that, but (laughs) I think it's obviously it's been on a topic that's been kind of a, a priority for me for a while and then with just the quarantine you're seeing a lot of of those things crop up as well for other people Mm -hmm. yeah Um, just because it's such a it's such a jarring experience it's kind of a trauma in itself as well just to go from something that was normal to something that is a new normal Mm -hmm. and rebelling and, and grieving what what once was and wondering if you'll ever have that again or what mm-hmm. it will look like in the future. Um, exactly. Well, yes. and I think it really, it just depends on, you know, I think it, I think it affects everybody differently, but depending on how you lived your life before COVID happened, mm-hmm. um, I think it is going to affect some people harder. Like personally, I've, I've been struggling um, during this. I'm an extrovert. I need, people I need face-to-face interaction I need to um I need that in order to um be in a good place um and it recharges me it refreshes me um and yeah that's that came uh, suddenly crashing down for me and it's it's been difficult yeah um mm-hmm. but it, well yeah you and I got to a point where like three four weeks in we're like we just need to see each other (laughs) so i drove over to the parking lot near kathy's house and we set up two lawn chairs six feet apart and we just talked out there and hung out for a little bit oh it's the way to go i I watched a lot of people adapt like you'd see them in the parking lots on the weekends Mm -hmm. um in the schools like just hanging out in their you know the trunk of their vehicles and, and chatting with each other and yeah i think there were some that you know met at parks yeah um, that weren't quarantined off just to mm-hmm. have conversation yeah as exactly. well yeah my family even started off I, this is months ago now but we my cousins my aunt my mom my sister we all started doing like occasional zoom calls like this just to catch up and you know they'd all have a glass of wine and we'd just talk for an hour <laughs> it's just there you, you go. know <laughs> you, you think about what's what's important and you prioritize kind of those relationships when you when you think about the fact that you know you can't really take anything for granted Mm -mm. yes I fully agree fully agree so so you guys have had a bit of a different experience in Sioux Falls with um with COVID and quarantine and South Dakota not exactly being shut down no Um, yes how has that never (laughs) How has that taken a toll on you and your family mentally, just knowing that, you know, 
you still have to be wary of these things, but there's a lot of people around that aren't necessarily adhering to any kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> precautions. It's a challenge um, for us. It was important to kind of keep it, you know, cl- close. Like we, we see the people that we see on a consistent basis and mm-hmm. we don't see a whole lot of like, crazy new people. And when I, I'm usually the, the person that will go out of the mm-hmm. house most of the time like we don't really take the kids out anywhere we yeah. finally took them out like once like a couple of weeks ago wearing masks getting them adjusted to that because I, we weren't sure yet what the school system was going to do here yeah and i'm glad that they're excited about their masks but that's good that's good because <laughs> i think our kids time. are our kids are over them oh for sure yeah <laughs> we've been having we've had a mask mandate like what all summer yeah, since Ju- beginning of June, I yeah. think. Yeah, our kid, uh, my my girls especially, like my son, he's fourteen, so he's cool. He's he gets mm-hmm. it. Um, but my seven year old and my five year old are like, like oh, I wanna play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> All right, so let's kind of start wherever it's best for you to start. But how have you approached this mental health journey that you've been on? Um, what what kind of made you realize that it was something that you needed to address? Um, it's interesting because it's been a, it's been gradual and then it was abrupt. Mm. Um, I knew I possibly needed that help after I had miscarriages. So when I was fairly young, my family is um, born and raised Catholic. And so reproduction wasn't an issue for (laughs) a lot of them at least from what I've heard and what I experienced um so when we conceived and when we tried to have kids we ended up having miscarriages and that was incredibly hard for me to deal with Mm -hmm. and then realizing that oh I have like PCOS and that's never discussed and so a lot of that took a mental toll on me and right around that time, my dad ended up having a stroke um, due to his disregard of taking care of himself. He was diabetic. Mm. Um, he suffered a stroke. And we thought, I thought, oh my gosh, he might be dying because his kidney levels were out of control. They had a really hard time getting them to level out. And my mom was like, I don't know what's going to happen. But he ended up living for another five years, but it wasn't without its issues. But it's right around that time that happened. And then I got incredibly sick and lost a ton of weight. And it was probably a lot to do to stress and anxiety, but I got tested for everything. Um, found out that my gallbladder was borderline functioning, which all of that just made me really depressed because it took me out of work. It made me feel like I was failing because I, all of a sudden, you know, I'm fairly newly married and all of these issues are sprouting up and I've never had those. Um, and I had terrible anxiety as a kid, didn't realize I did. I just thought whatever I was experiencing was, you know, I just sucked it up. But everything was gradual. There'd be moments where I'm like, man, maybe I do, but I'm not that bad because, you know, because unfortunately there's this ideology back when I was growing up um, mental illness wasn't discussed Mm -hmm. and what was discussed is like you need to get help if you're like suicidal so it was like that was it Um, and I'm like well I don't feel that way I just have Mm -hmm. this anxiety and so I just kept living with it for a number of years just like off and on having these spikes, but being able to like put them back into control because I was used to, I was like, I built up these weird coping mechanisms to compartmentalize the anxiety and the depression and just like dealt with it. And then after um, my brother was killed and just all of that pressure of dealing with like courts and attorneys and then dealing with, you know, my sister-in-law being in recovery and my family already being spliced apart as it was due to, you know, my dad's death. 
it was just enough where I was like crying all the time. My husband was concerned. He'd be like, um, I don't know what to do for you. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I don't know if I knew what to do. I would have done it myself. Um, it was just realizing I couldn't compartmentalize anything anymore. And that terrified me because I could see myself unraveling and for me, control is everything and to not be able to be in control of my emotions and be in control of how I'm responding to things was incredibly terrifying. I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on? So I started doing research. I dug into family history. I asked questions I and found out that there's a lot of mental illness on both sides of the family. And I decided, okay, I need to get some help. And I went and saw a doctor and it was really nerve wracking to tell her, like, I think I need to see a therapist. Like, I didn't know where to go. I was just like, I'm going to start a doctor and go from there. And they got me to a therapist that is in-house. And that was like, that was a really great first step. It was an incredibly great first step to meet my therapist and find somebody that's really great. And they were incredibly uh, gentle and really informative. And I was like, this is what I do. This is, you know, you want to make sure you find a really good therapist that's going to connect with you and is going to be able to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just stuck with the one that I uh, was referred to because it was like, we get along like, great. This person is awesome. Um, But when they prescribed me anxiety medication, she's like, I think this would be beneficial. I was incredibly terrified to take it. Like Mm -hmm. it, I went like a week of just looking at the pills and being like, I don't know. I'm terrified. What's going to happen? It's a big step. I mean, that's, that's relinquishing Mm -hmm. your control, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was right before we were supposed to go for court (laughs) for my brother and it's like, well, I better start. So yeah, it was, it took them like that whole week that I was gone. And um, ever since then, haven't looked back. (laughs) It's totally different, totally different experience. It is a huge step to take. And I mean, um, we've talked a bit about this, but I have kind of a similar story to you where Mm -hmm. I grew up with anxiety and depression, and um, I even dealt with issues of self-harm really for a number of years up until probably about six or seven years ago, and um, it was something where, you know, I'd be like, I need to talk to somebody about it. Oh, you know, I'll talk to my sister and see what she thinks, and we're like, well, you know, don't do that anymore. But like, what is, what is she going to do about it? Because, you know, she's, she doesn't have the, the ability to advocate for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really took until I was older and, you know, realizing that there was an issue that was kind of beyond my control with the anxiety and everything. Um, We'll get into this more next week with the fertility talk, but after going through um, a a long battle with endometriosis and chronic pain and finally having a hysterectomy, I was still dealing with chronic pain just in different Mm -hmm. ways in my body. And um, so I was physically in pain. I was mentally suffering a lot from anxiety and depression. And I went into a doctor because I was like, something's wrong with me. I don't know what it is. You know, maybe I have lupus, who knows? Um, and they gave me this mental health questionnaire. Um, and I sat there kind of filling it out. And Josh was actually sitting beside me and he kind of looks over and he's like, Aren't you going to be honest on that? I was like, What are you talking about? Of course I'm being honest on that. And he goes, No, no, go get a clean sheet and try it again. And so then I did, I filled it out. Um, I filled it out properly. And, um, talked to my doctor a little bit that day and, uh, you know, we, we decided that anxiety medication was a good way to go. Um, you know, it had the added benefit of this particular medication supposed to help with nerve pain and kind of, you know, after dealing with chronic pain for a good majority of your life, your nerves are still 
used to being in pain. So they're still right. telling you that there's pain somewhere in your body. Mm-hmm. And you could ask my husband. I just became like a new person after that. Um, you know, I finally, it finally seemed like I had some hope in life, <laughs> motivation for things. And pain is depressing, man. It is. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's really terrible. So, you know, making that decision that you want to be better you know, especially for yourself, but also for your family. You know, my kids deserved a mom that was present and, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with things in a in a more proactive way. So, yeah, that there was that stigma in our younger years. You know, we're kind of all from that same generation where, mm-hmm. you know, depression was maybe not talked about. You know, you always had your suicide assemblies and everything like that. Yep. Um, but taking pills was just like, you know, there's always those horror stories of they made they made me worse. Yeah. And, right. you know, yep. so well, and so took pills and then killed themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's a little exactly. extreme. But well, I think that's the thing, because it, you know, from the generation that we're all from, if it, it you know, obviously, like if there was a suicide, it was known and, and it was discussed. And that was super extreme. Yeah. But nobody ever talked about leading up to that final yeah. point you know because right. if you did talk about it it was shameful mm-hmm. um you were labeled as crazy or selfish yeah exactly like it it wasn't there was never um a conversation at least that i i was ever a part of there was never right. a conversation that that revolved around you know any type of mental illness that was handled with grace and mm-hmm. forgiveness and understanding and empathy it was just very like oh you crazy, you know, like it just, it, so I mean, I totally understand why people never wanted to talk about it, you know, because why would you, why yeah. would you want to get labeled as crazy, you yeah. know, you don't want to. No, you don't. And yeah. it's also recognizing the signs because it's really easy to disprove what you feel because you're like, oh, well, like, I think it could be worse. So mm-hmm. maybe it's not that bad. Like for me, I just thought I wasn't that bad. If I was going to go to the doctor and then be like, okay, just try some of these exercises and then it should be fine. Like I was really worried that I was going to be labeled as being like overdramatic or not mm-hmm. taken seriously, mm-hmm. which wasn't the case, thankfully. That is good. But, you know, that was something I had growing up. Like when I would have these these issues I would just assume oh it, it could be worse you know mm-hmm. what I have is not that bad yeah yeah when you see other people suffering you you don't want to make it seem like you're I I guess making it seem like it's any you know your life is any worse or anything for mm-hmm. that um yeah you don't want to make their plight seem lesser by admitting that you have something or make yourself seem like a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. That's because that's how I always felt growing up, especially before being diagnosed with endometriosis. You know, I got, I was at the doctor a lot because I had stomach pain and I was sick a lot mm-hmm. and they're just like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. Mm-hmm. So growing up with that, having doctors constantly tell me there's nothing wrong with you, you're fine. I always felt like, well, obviously, you know, it's all in my head. There's, totally. Yeah. I had that growing mm-hmm. up, too. Um, I didn't realize up until, oh, gosh, I don't know, not even 10 years ago that um, I have a, a connective joint disorder. Um, I didn't realize that I had that growing up. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, I've always had chronic pain forever. Like, mm-hmm. I've never not had a day where something doesn't hurt, but I just thought that was normal. Um, mm-hmm. But with that that joint disorder like I'm clumsy and I'm totally accident prone so I growing growing up I was always hurt you mm-hmm. know like a sprained ankle a sprained ankle or sprained wrist uh, tendonitis like I was the kid wearing the the knee braces and stuff like that and so everybody labeled me as like she's a hypochondriac mm-hmm. and I didn't know any better mm-hmm. because I didn't realize that this was actually stemming from a legitimate health issue you know so right. yeah you do if, if there's ever anything that you have that's chronic pain related because it's not of like like people can't see your pain mm-hmm. you know yeah. you look you look fine yeah so when those symptoms come out you look like you're crazy exactly you know? right but you're not yeah exactly well and even um 
it's funny this should come around because we literally are going to talk about fertility next week but (laughs) the two of you having PCOS and me having endometriosis that's also something that can feel very isolating Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. like you said Celine with you coming from a good Catholic family you know nobody seemed to have any issues uh, reproducing or anything like that and so when you get to that point where you're struggling and I mean, miscarriage in itself can be very isolating and very painful, but then finding out that you have this condition that makes it all the harder, Mm -hmm. um, that can really trigger a lot of, a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. It, it did. And it does like, it still does. I mean, PCOS, you're, I'm like always, like, I can always tell if it's being like, if there's a flare up. So I'm always worried about my food intake on top of having the gallbladder issues as well it's also knowing like oh food can also create more chaos for your pcos mm-hmm. and totally. with i have a, a long line of like uh family that have a lot of health issues like my dad alone could like fill a whole page of like when I go in and check, it's like, who, who is this? It's like, dad, 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 dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that always makes me fearful as well. Probably makes me anxious, more than likely. Uh, makes mm-hmm. me anxious as well, just knowing those things exist mm-hmm. and that, you know, I have to be watching out for that. But yeah, yeah. The, um, the PCOS definitely is not yeah. great. And it's and it's so unique to everybody. Like everybody Mm -hmm. has some similar issues and some not similar issues, but nobody talks about it because it's like not a whole lot of people talk about it because it's, you know, reproductive area, lady issue. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to talk about like, yeah, I have like really painful periods that are horrible. I used to, you know, when I would lead um, youth group, girls, small groups, I'd be like, here's the thing. You can plug your ears while I tell you about this part of my story all you want, but you all have a uterus too. And (laughs) if you do come upon a day where you're having problems or anything like this, I am here for you and I will advocate for you no matter what, because it's important to talk about. Yes. Like I am, I'm a, yeah, I'm like, I'm at the point now where I'd rather just have open conversations and make people feel uncomfortable because it's like, I'm, we're trying to remove that. The stigma like mental health like I'm not afraid to talk to people and be like yep I have therapy yep I take <laughs> you know mm-hmm. medication um it's not something to shy away from or to feel shame about which I mean has been talked about I mean there's this there is a movement that's going on to reduce the stigma of that but that's yeah. it's still it still exists because there's not a process. whole lot that's been talked about and so mm-hmm. it's like I don't understand how this can help you like right. how does therapy actually help you you're just yeah. talking to somebody essentially it's like well it's more than that right well but there's still a generation of people and a mentality of people um that you know would be like oh you snowflakes you know <laughs> get over it buck right. up um so kind of bringing this around um when it comes to dealing with this depression anxiety you know, it's really awesome getting therapy and getting help. How has this affected your faith? Um, Because I know I personally will get into it a little bit, but I just kind of want to hear from you and how that's, uh, how that's worked for you. Um, For my faith, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, And it's okay if you're still working through it. Yeah, I'm still working it through it uh, Mm -hmm. just because there's other circumstances that are surrounding where my faith is at Um, but for me it's a little bit more eye-opening to realize where I'm at in life and realize that my faith was built off of my anxiety Mm -hmm. so I was always like I'm oh like I I feel the only way I have worth is by contributing and if I, I if I don't contribute anything in the church, then I should cease to to be there. Like it's, mm. it's are a, you an, it's an all are you an Enneagram too? 
have no idea. Uh, oh, we'll have <laughs> to send her a book. <laughs> I'm a two. <laughs> you totally have to find out what your Enneagram is. It's so, okay. like, especially, like, with, seriously, like, with talking about, like, depression and anxiety and, like, the Enneagram, it, it helps you understand all these different facets of who you are and why you are the way you are and why you react the way you you do. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been so eye-opening for yeah. me where I'm just like oh okay um so that's <laughs> why I'm like that and that's why I have those feelings and emotions and mm-hmm. this is what I can do to work with them in a positive way this is when I'm like oh kind of getting some red flags like this is the kind of unhealthy not good zone you know i right. um, super super fascinating not supposed to tell people what they are but I would based on what you just said <laughs> I'm wondering if we're the same. <laughs> yeah, that was just like, that was a recent discovery. That was like within this week, like trying to dissect things through. Yeah. Already dissecting things and coming up to be like, oh, because of my trauma in the past, I've always been trying to obtain acceptance through what I can do, not just, and not through who I am as a person. So that's still a process because for me, it's very foreign. So I've always operated as like, as long as I can contribute, mm-hmm. like uh, people will remember me, people will notice me. Like there's a reason, you know, they'll have a reason yeah. to like stick around. Right. Yeah. Um, but if I don't, then like, what's the point? Like even I wouldn't want to like, right. like uh, what, are you, what are you good for if you don't do that? Yeah. Right. Well, and that comes from trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also see that as a difference between, like, what can you do for your faith versus what can your faith do for you? Because mm-hmm. so often people focus on, you know, if I go to church and I volunteer for this food pantry or I do this and this, I'm going to look good to other people. I'm going to look good to God. And then I'll check off that box and I'm going to heaven. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Versus I am struggling. I'm having a very hard time. I need to lean into my faith and you know, find that, find comfort in that, that's a hard bridge to cross. Mm-hmm. Um, because well, I, for myself, the times that I have dealt most with any kinds of doubt in my faith or struggles with, you know, even who is God, do I believe in God, was after my cousin died. Um, she and I were pretty close, well, we were close in age and we, you know, grown up together and she was killed in kind of a horrible accident. Mm. And um, that was the point where I was just like, why am I working so hard for the church when it doesn't make me feel better? It makes me mm-hmm. feel worse. It makes me feel guilty. You know, the, it, there weren't exactly people reaching out to me during that time from the church because we were kind of at this weird college age and just volunteering at a church mm. while Josh was in school. So that was the point where I just, I straight up quit going to church for like Mm. four or five months and just was kind of over it, over it. And, um, it really took a little bit of introspection and kind of getting back into the word and feeling like I could talk to somebody about it, about my feelings and about, um, you know, how, like I was mad at God. And Mm -hmm. I was like, why, why did this happen? Why do I feel this way? My anxiety got a lot worse. I didn't even really want to leave the house. All while I was just coming to terms with my health issues as well, Mm because I'd just been diagnosed with endometriosis. Sure. I was struggling with kidney stones and all this other stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, first couple years of marriage, girl, they can be rough. They can be rough. They can be rough. Yeah. Well, Um, and I think it's it's so easy too for believers um that you know that that um that idea and that thought process that if you are the good christian and you help out at church you go to church you read your bible you pray you know that if if you do all of those things um almost like you know some people see god as like a genie like if you do all the right things, then life is going to be good and Nothing happy. will go bad. Nothing, nothing will, will go, go wrong. wrong. Nothing will, you know, bad will happen. But then what happens when it does? 
I think yeah. it's so rattling for people that it makes them really question if their if their faith was true and legit when it really was. You know, they mm-hmm. just had a um, a skewed maybe thought process of of what that true faith will make their life end up like. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that that saying, you know, um, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, I think is a bunch of crap. <laughs> I really I do. Like, I, I hate that. And saying. that God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah, um, yeah he will. Uh, he will. Um, <laughs> he will. My and, cup is runneth over. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, and like, nobody was now. built to handle it handle on their own. Handle all of that on yeah. their own. And yeah. when you look at, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful things in the world, but there is a lot of devastation and destruction mm-hmm. and heartache and sin and ugliness you know god didn't cause that for a reason you know so i think if you have that thought process of you know everything happens for a reason okay then why did this super duper really terrible crappy thing happen Mm -hmm. you know like it i don't understand where that thought developed from and Mm -hmm. how it infiltrated the Christian faith so much because the reason that Jesus came was because we need him because we can't do it on our own. We can't handle things on our own. We're supposed to take our heartaches and our failures and our weaknesses to him. So why then in the church did it get so much like you can't talk about it. You can't discuss it. If you have those issues, there's something wrong with you. Your faith's not legit. That's, Mm -hmm. that's not right. You know, I think yeah. it's because you can't answer those questions. You can't answer the whys. Right. Yeah. Like, you, you genuinely can't. Like, why does this happen? Like, if God's so big and so massive, why is why is he allowing this? And right. I, I don't have an answer for it. Like, I still don't right. have an answer. I've exactly. asked that. Um, yeah. For me, when my brother was killed, there was this really aggressive understanding for me anyways. Like, wow, the gap between like God and free will, like the, the space that he allows for free will is a lot, is really vast. It's, mm-hmm. it's more than I realized. Yeah. And I realized just our human fragility. Like, yes. wow. Um, but I still don't have an answer for that because then I'm like, okay, well then when does he intercede? Like, when does he like, if he is a God of all of this, like why, you know, when does he intercede? Does he mm-hmm. have what he has uh so those are a lot of questions that end up unraveling when you go through that right um well and sometimes they end up unraveling years down the road you know like going through a terrible crappy time makes zero sense um sometimes it never makes sense unfortunately but sometimes Mm -hmm. you can look back and be like oh that was a super pivotal point in life and it was trajectory to spur me into this direction or spur me like it created a passion that you didn't know existed because if you never Mm -hmm. went through that pain you you never would have had that that passion ignited you know um and I know like personally for my life there's there's definitely been some things that I've gone through that still don't make sense and I really don't understand why um but on the flip side there's even more that I've gone through that now looking back it's like oh okay I yeah. get it. I get the I get the stepping stones of this led to this and this led to this and if this didn't right. happen I wouldn't have never gotten yeah. here, you know. Um and sometimes but, it's so far down the road no, that you come to that realization <laughs> that it's like, yeah. oh, why couldn't I have, you mm-hmm. know, brought this all together sooner? Right. Um but then again, you know, um it's all part of that process. You have to process things and come to terms with things as your mind and your body can handle them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Celine, uh, kind of a good lead into what you've been working on recently in therapy. You mentioned that you've recently started trauma therapy. Um, what was kind of the pivot for you from traditional therapy to trauma therapy and kind of what, what have you been realizing through this? Yes. Um, I transitioned into trauma therapy probably the well I started noticing that that might be a possibility back in the beginning of 2020 uh, I just ended up sitting down with some relatives of mine and having an open conversation about things that happened in my childhood 
uh, just because there's a lot of miscommunication with some of the traumas that have happened, the behaviors of some of my siblings, and just, you know, not fully understanding the picture. And I was like, okay, all right, we're just gonna, we're gonna lay this out. I'm, I'm kind of a confrontational person and I'd rather just lay it out. Yeah. So that there's, there's not this consistent, like, uh, presumptions and um, assuming of things. So uh, that was the first step of that. And then everything just kind of unraveled from there. And all these, I guess, a lot of trauma memories <laughs> that were suppressed for so long just started cropping up when I was having conversations as, you know, some of my family members started to deal with, with, you know, different aspects of their grief, either grieving with like, how things came out with for my brother to grieving all of a sudden about how they had felt in regards to my dad and when he died and just the things in between there um and just watching some of my family get some help some of them ignore wanting to actually get help and think like no no that's not for me it's like no i think we should just realizing there was still those stigmas like they were okay with me getting help they're not okay with them getting help like that we already get help I like you know we talked to so-and-so and we talked to this person this person like but they're not there's a difference with a therapist yeah um but it's having to get to that point of being like okay it seems like such a taboo thing to be like ooh, therapy and help and talking to yeah. somebody about this but yeah. I just went to my therapist and told her what was going on and she's like okay well, there's a thing called EMDR. You you wanting to try? It's going to be really painful. And I'm like, let's do it. So I was like, I'm tired of living with these suppressed memories coming up and mm -hmm. creating more issues for my anxiety, which then led me to talk to her about like, do I change my medication? Like this medication helped me for a while, but now I can't even get a hold again of myself and yeah. what will this happen? And now I'm on my new dose of medication and I, I recognize that it's like a privilege for me to be able to afford to do this, to go mm -hmm. and do this, to get prescriptions, to see a therapist. And for me, it just opened up my eyes to be like, there's so many people that would benefit from this, but it's not always easily accept uh, like accessible mm -hmm. because it is, it is costly. It is expensive. Well, and I think too, like, you know, the, the term trauma therapy isn't even a readily understood term, you know, people yeah, might, right. they know what, you know, therapy is mm -hmm. or a counselor or, or a psychiatrist or whatever, but that whole idea of trauma therapy, I think a lot of people still don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, Celine, could you sort of, just for our viewers, maybe there's people watching that don't even realize that they need it themselves, yeah. you know? Um, could you like kind of explain in a nutshell, like what it is? Uh, trauma therapy can be a couple different things right now. What I'm doing is, uh, it's like an eye stimulation. Mm -hmm. It's basically going like her, she's going back and forth. Your eye follows and you just let your mind, like she'll ask you a question or they'll ask a question about a particular memory that's coming up and then they'll just ask you to process through that they'll they'll talk you and let you just process it then they'll ask you what were you feeling how you know what did you imagine and and they just adjust it from there they'll uh, give you the safe space so after a while you have to go you have to create your own kind of safe space where you can calm yourself down and then you you know you get to be reintroduced back into the trauma but it's essentially allowing your brain to transfer that memory from like one core of your brain to the other core of your brain where there's a filing system and that's where it mm. should, should go but sometimes it gets stuck like these yeah. memories get stuck and they'll just replay and replay and you're feeling all those emotions you're feeling all that physical mm. um emotional and you're reliving it and you you know you know that's just a memory but you can't stop your brain from yeah. responding and thus like your brain your like whole body responds to it yeah sure 
So for trauma therapy, it's trying to get you past that point into being able to file it. So if it does come up again, it's like, oh, yes, I remember Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And then being able to kind of return it Mm -hmm. without it creating so much um, like physical response. For me, it was a physical response. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it sounds extremely painful mm-hmm. having to relive so many of those things and mm-hmm. process them over and over until it's, it's, oh gosh, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but the brain is fascinating and how, how you're able to kind of process things that way and how you, when you do have memories, it does release different hormones in your body and you do have those mm-hmm. physical responses and so many people can probably resonate with the fact that they have those reactions to things in their lives and maybe they never realized that it's something that they needed to address. Mm -hmm. So, right. Yes. I think Um, it's, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, (laughs) So um, back at Ransom Church where we used to go, um, they have a program called Restore. Did -hmm. you ever have a Restore? Josh did. I didn't. So it's sort of like, what you described but it's it's um completely like integrated with prayer and jesus and working on memories and how those memories caused emotions and how those emotions were like seeds Mm -hmm. and how those seeds infiltrated the rest of your life um Mm -hmm. super fascinating um i i had a restore session um gosh i think i was pregnant yeah i was pregnant with ariel um, so it's been probably six years ago now, but, um, I was a little bit scared going into it. Cause I was yeah. like, I tend to be the type of person who, um, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I like to shut that door yeah, it's done, it's and over. I've moved on. Let's mm. not revisit it, yeah. you know? Um, cause I don't want to. Um, so <laughs> right. I was really nervous, um, when I went to my restore session, um, and sure enough, it was it was some memory. I think the Holy Spirit was already kind of working on me with mm. what was going to be worked on and what needed to be worked on. Um, sure enough, that was the door that got opened. <laughs> and uh, it was super hard and super difficult. Right. But through it, yeah. it was so healing mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. restoring because through that um, – you, you go back and you relive this memory, right? And you, you really work through it. But through it all, it talks, like they talk about, there's a, like a restore team um, and they pray through it and they um, have you focus on where Jesus was in it through mm-hmm. the, the hard time, through the trauma, through whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and through focusing on, on where Jesus was in it, how he was how he even though that whatever was happening was breaking his heart Mm -hmm. he was working so hard to try to make it better and that Mm -hmm. he was there with you through it and it works on forgiveness um it's really cool it's really fascinating but anyways that i don't i guess i don't really know where i was going with that but um it's super powerful because now even when like that those memories kind of pop up you know um in in my brain and in my heart like I instantly can go back to that restore session restore session and like see where Jesus was see the forgiveness and it's it's really cool too how it's also working on that seed that infiltrated Mm -hmm. things in my life Mm -hmm. now fixing that seed and how that that healed seed has infiltrated different parts of my life it's fascinating it's super cool well, and getting those coping mechanisms that aren't necessarily avoiding the issue are also a very important part of mm-hmm. getting help and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever coping mechanisms you might have. Right. <laughs> some yeah. are healthy, some are unhealthy. So it's I think def- most of them are unhealthy. A lot of they? them are yeah. unhealthy. <laughs> it is so important to yeah. be equipped with the ability to have the good coping mechanisms mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. is such an important part of therapy and finally addressing issues. Um, yes, because yeah. our our brains are really fascinating. They're they're delicate, but they're mm-hmm. extremely complex. So being mm-hmm. able to take good care of them, I think, should be a, a bigger priority than it tends to be. Mm-hmm. Just because you know it's it's within your you know your body, so it's not something that people see like, ooh, you've got like a bruise there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's for me. That's one of the issues, or the one of the, the the hiccups that I see 
sometimes with mental illness is it's easy to disguise it Mm -hmm. and it's really hard for people to recognize it even within them their own selves sometimes Mm. oh totally Mm -hmm. but especially for others because some people like wow they're just so grumpy today Mm -hmm. um and it might be just because it's every they're trying to process something that's really hard for them to process and Mm -hmm. they're overloaded like their brain is overloaded and there's other times they can act really normal because it's really easy to hide it and put on a facade Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, well, and it's I think a, it's so easy for it to tricky. come out in actions and behaviors that you don't even know why you're doing. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. whether it's yes. addictions or obsessions or, um, you know, it. Sometimes you don't even realize the destructive behavior that you have is coming because you have an issue that needed to get worked on. You know. Yes. Yep. It. It's interesting because mental health can bleed into so many things. So traumas, different things that have suppressed or you've coped or compartmentalized, however you handle it, end Mm -hmm. up bleeding into different things. That's exactly it. Like Kathy, you're right. It's you're wondering, like, why do I feel so upset? Why do I feel triggered by this? Mm -hmm. Why is this making me have such an emotionally volatile reaction to everything? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and for me, it was just like, I was too fascinated with trying to understand things because I was trying to understand, in a sense, I was trying to understand my dad mm-hmm. and just the complexity of him and the things that I had to deal with as a kid and trying to understand, man, if he would have just gotten help, what would ha- what, what would life have been? What could have been? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I think, it's just kind of become a passion of mine to just talk about it, not be mm-hmm. afraid to talk about it with everybody and to understand and recognize, you know, when my kids are having issues too, like they have, you know, they can have those precursors as well for mental health issues and just how, like, how am I feeding into that mm-hmm. for them? And so it's made me a more compassionate and a lot more understanding of where people are at and how mm-hmm. people process things. Mm-hmm. Um, because even I'm fascinated with how I process trauma or how I, how my brain has learned to cope and hide and mask mm. and all that stuff, all like all of these memories. And it's for me, it's just incredibly fascinating, but it also makes you more appreciative of the importance of mental health and and learning like it's okay not to be okay because right yeah and like admitting that you're not okay and telling people that you're not okay is Mm -hmm. okay too like right um (laughs) you know it's always that it just comes back sometimes to how are you doing today oh i'm good i'm I'm okay i'm fine and it's like you know, you want to know? Do you want to know how mm-hmm. I feel today? Right. <laughs> well, you... somebody didn't fill the ice cube trays and I started crying. <laughs> Don't know what that's about. <laughs> you know, like trying to yes. figure out why you're feeling the feelings you have. Right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like so important. And like yeah. you said, being able to recognize some of those tendencies in your children as well is can be completely life-changing. Or even, you know, for me, after I started realizing the the issues that I was having and started you know accepting help for those realizing different tendencies in my kids to be like oh you know what Connor was acting you know he's crying right now or he's punching his brother in the face like maybe he's feeling some <laughs> maybe, feelings maybe he's working yeah. through something yeah, right maybe now there's something we need to talk about right. and yeah I've gotten to the point where I will just kind of sit down alongside my oldest Liam who's nine now and he can tell me um you know one day he's just said I'm really sad because I miss my friends from Mitchell mm-hmm. and I haven't made friends in Boise yet and it's just kind of that thing to where he's like yeah I recognize that I've been acting kind of weird lately this is why mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's cool when they can start doing that and I hope to keep the lines of communication open there too that's so important that you do that Mm -hmm. and it's so powerful because you know when you look at the world and you look at people who tend to get labeled as 
um, just they're just trouble, mm-hmm. you know, addicts, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, healthy people don't have issues like that. Mm. You know, the, you don't have a healthy person who becomes a drug addict. You just don't. Um, that stuff just stems from past trauma and past mm-hmm. hurt and maybe past closed lines of communication. Yeah. Thinking, I can't talk to any about it, anybody about this. I have to handle this on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important that you do that with your kids. Absolutely. Um, I'm, yeah. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's important. <laughs> you know, like, great. if I think if people have whether you know it's it's something that you can make a change with right now with your own kids or maybe right. something that you needed when you were growing up or your friend that you know is completely messed up needed growing up um everybody needs that they need to know that they have a safe person that they can talk to um and it for me personally it just breaks my heart even more for the people out there who are really struggling with yeah. whatever they're their hang up or their habit is because it stemmed from something that they needed help with and they Absolutely. didn't get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you're watching the, the live stream here, Celine, but your sister just commented live and Aww. it's so cool that she's also been accepting help to, to kind of deal with the past and these, Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Celine's from a Catholic family. She's got a lot of siblings. They all work through yes. trauma in different ways. But yes. I'm so glad that Liv has been able to kind of reach out to you and be close to you mm-hmm. and work through problems there too. She's a cool person. Mm-hmm. I miss yeah, Liv. Is. I miss playing. <laughs> I miss playing Torg with you guys. Um, <laughs> it's a rpg game it's a role-playing it's a role-playing game. game oh i was like i don't know what that language is shout out sorry. to jeff, <laughs> Hi, jeff. jeff was our jeff's watching too and i miss jeff <laughs> oh my gosh we had a really great little group in sioux falls we would get together every other sunday and That's play cool. and it was nice to be able to have that constant interaction with you as well because you were going yes. through things at that time and like i, yeah, I like being able were... to be there to talk to you i don't i don't know if that helped at all but I, like it was it, it did it helped in more ways than i even realized like i'm glad i had you guys there and i'm glad we did have those events um because i always felt like we were like passing ships i was telling josh earlier i'm like i feel like we were like passing ships who just didn't dock on the same port and so it was yeah. great to kind of dock on the same port for a little bit especially during that time like that was right around getting ready for the trial and mm-hmm. being incredibly frustrated with different things and yeah um just watching you guys experience a whole new beginning and trying to figure out like okay we're like going head deep into church planning so yay. yeah good luck <laughs> with that well and that is another thing that um I know you've got a great support system with some of those mm-hmm. people that we were hanging out with, like Jeff and, um, you know, some of your other friends there. What, yeah. how important has the role of community and having those good supporters on your side been for you during your mental um, health journey? It's been incredible. It's been, I don't always necessarily look at it for me, but I was looking at it through, you know, my sister, Olivia, mm-hmm. um, and my sister-in-law and just knowing that they loved my family and they were there and they were you know I had my best friend and my good friend whatever whatever you want to label them they're like yeah. they're part of my family because it just yeah. says this I have this like large extended family because of the community that I have um yeah she just actually sat down with my sister the day after I got back from trial mm-hmm. and we just sat outside in the hallway it was like I think it was Easter Sunday Mm. when we got we got back before the day before that but Easter Sunday and she just cried like heavily into Ashley's lap and Ashley just sat there and like stroked her hair and we had like friends that came out during that time because I was in worship um during that time we had like some of our worship people out there and they just they loved on them. So for me, from that perspective, it was beautiful to see them being able to carry the weight because for me, I was barely carrying my own weight as well, it was. I was just numb. so hard to carry weight for so many people through that process. Right. Yeah. 
yes. that having that community to kind of distribute some of the burden onto and be embraced by them as well. Yes. Um, and with the, the mental health, it really, when you start getting that help or where you start being open, like for me, it was like, for me, I just have to rip off the band-aid. So like, if you really want to know then you're going to be in it because <laughs> there's no it. turning back once I, once I spill it. Um, but it was really worth great to have people that were receptive. There's some people that weren't as receptive that I was open with, but at the same time, I was like, well, he wanted to know, and I'm just that type of person that will just rip it right off. But there's, it's not always the case. Everybody's kind of tentative. Everybody has their own yeah. approach to it. But mm-hmm. for me, I was done being tentative. I was, I was over it. I was over just hiding it. And because I was like, I'm dealing with this and I'm tired of living in the stigma, even if, even if, um, I kind of lost my train of thought, <laughs> even if I was supporting other people who were coming out and being able to talk about their mental health, it's like, yes, yeah. that's I, but for me, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I could ever do that. And then it just mm-hmm. got to the point where I was like, nope, I can, because if I don't advocate, if I don't talk about this then there's not going to, like, I feel like there's not going to be change. If we don't talk about this, nothing's ever going to change. It's just going to stay the same. It was going to stay this stagnant, like, ooh, this was kind of like something that we talk about hush-hush and, like, deep family conversations and passing. It's not something that's actually actively addressed until something happens, like a death Mm -hmm. or something else. Usually it was a death for... (laughs) For my family, but yeah, it's just being able to ask those questions and have people try to be as honest as they can be with it and, um, yeah, allow space for people that do actually want to talk about it. If you're going to ask somebody like how they're actually really feeling, make space and make time. Yeah. Actually make it so that they, they yeah. Sit down with them and be like, no, I really want to know. Like, I know you just said you were okay, but mm-hmm. really, yeah. how are you? Yeah. yeah. And creating that safe space where they feel like you're actually going to listen. You're not like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I got to go. Maybe right. we'll talk later. Yeah. yeah. Because it's usually so, it's like, no, I need to talk now. <laughs> it's so hard and it's so scary for people to open up and put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if somebody does that for you, you need to listen you need to be that person <laughs> yes. yeah exactly because they trust you and and you know yeah. be that person for them you know even if you don't feel equipped to be that person sometimes all they need is someone to just listen, listen mm-hmm. and acknowledge mm-hmm. that there is something going on mm-hmm. and you know I don't always have the right words I wish I did I Same. wish it was a gifting <laughs> yeah. for me that's a scary thing being a pastor's wife you oh, know because so many people look to you be like well they'll know what to say and that's the thing too, being no. a pastor's <laughs> wife and admitting that you're not okay yeah. is another mm-hmm. thing that's really hard or being someone right. who's been a leader at your church and admitting that you're not okay. Um, yeah. You know, cause there are some places where there's still stigma where if you're dealing with this, you're, you're not going to be able to be on a leadership team anymore. Right. You need to go deal with your yeah. thing and then you can right. come back and actually being there to talk about it and open up about it and admit that you're getting help is powerful and that can make so much more of an impact on a person rather than just saying oh so and so is not here today because she's dealing with some things right right yeah. It's like yeah we're right. unpacking some things and it's important to talk about it mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it is. and it- I want to throw this in there before we're done because I know our time is almost out. But if anybody out there who's watching, like if you are a person who needs to talk and you don't want to talk to a therapist or you're scared to or you can't afford to or whatever, um, if you need to talk, um, reach out to us. Yeah. I'll Mm -hmm. listen. (laughs) I might not have the right thing to say, but (laughs) I'll listen. And yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll try I'm, my best. So seriously, if you need that help for anybody out there, like reach out to somebody that you love and trust. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, reach out to us. We'll we'll be that for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important to reach out because I didn't do a very good job of that. And I ended up sucking as a friend at some point, like just 
had a friend that was going through something similar and we just like I was like oh this is like way too much couldn't handle anything and, yeah but I wasn't just I wasn't advocating for myself I wasn't taking care of myself um at that time yeah. so yeah definitely reach out even if you you feel awkward um being able to just be like okay this is how I feel what you know what do you recommend or what I mean this is yeah. just where I'm at yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just being like yeah that does like at maybe just validating like you know what that does suck mm-hmm. yeah totally. it's okay to not be okay and validating mm-hmm. that because a lot of times it's not always validated like you know what it does suck mm-hmm. it's just like I, I could say some other swear words but I won't <laughs> suck is the best the best we'll alternative PG on this one keep a pg um but yeah yeah Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you so much for opening up, Celine, and being yes, here with us. Yes, you too. And this is this is awesome. I just love you. I want you to know that. Aw, love you too. <laughs> All I right, everybody. To you too. Yeah, yeah. And we will definitely, you know, if you need to reach out to us here at Gathering Two Up, feel free to do that on our Facebook page. Um, you know, Kathy and I are here. Celine is here. Um. I am just so thankful for everybody who could watch tonight, especially Liv and Jeff, because you guys have been right there with Celine through all of this, and you're great people. Um, but yeah, next week is another heavy hitter. It is our hitter. fertility talk. Um, we're going to have Kathy and myself, and Jordan Nelson will be here. Um, it, guys, you can watch this one too. I'm mm-hmm. just going to yes. say that. Sometimes it's important for guys to know how to support your partner. Actually, not sometimes, always. It's important for guys to know how to support your partner through these situations. And it's not always just us going through this. It's our husbands, too. It's our partners. Mm -hmm. Um, So feel free to watch next week. Um, Message us with any questions, concerns, comments. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Ah, Celine, that was so 